0: hi everyone this is caleb and welcome to the learner's corner podcast i'm so grateful that you have decided to spend part of your day here with me in the learner's corner and today i'm honored to be joined by jim wilder and ray woldridge to talk with them about their book escaping enemy mode how our brains unite or divide us and here on the podcast, this is a podcast for lifelong learners. To where we want to continue to learn and grow and engage in all sorts of different, uh, different and difficult conversations as well. And if you're on that journey of lifelong learning, I would just recommend that you subscribe to my Substack because that's where I give all of my recommendations for the things that I am enjoying reading, you know, uh, listening to movies that I'm watching, videos, songs. Uh, literally just anything that is just engaging my curiosity or making me think you could find that on the Substack. and today as i mentioned today we're uh talking about uh enemy mode and you know we've uh recently have been talking a lot on the podcast about how to engage in uh just conversations to where maybe we disagree with people and today we're going to I guess continue to talk about that even more as well. And we're going to get into uh, the neuroscience of what causes us to see people as enemies and how do you work through that? How do you overcome that? How do you escape enemy mode In that? And how can we go about, for, for those of us who are uh, followers of Jesus, of which I am one, how can we go about, you know, living out that command of how do you love your enemies, even when it can be difficult and dive in into and just diving into that. And, you know, I want to be that type of person. I want to be that type of person that is able to engage in those types of conversations that are are just difficult. And I don't want to be in any enemy, enemy mode. I want to be in a relational mode. And that's part of the reason why I'm talking with Ray and Jim on the podcast today as well. So let me tell you a little bit about them and then we will jump into the conversation So Jim Wilder brings his extensive life experience growing up in the Andes Mountains, his PhD in psychology, and his 30 years of training leaders on five continents for the realities of business today. He is the thinker behind The Life Model, A Lifespan Guide to Being Fully Human, and he is the author of over 10 books with a strong focus on applied neuroscience, maturity, relational skills, and resilient leaders. And then Ray Woldridge is the executive director of life model works with a master's degree in strategic studies and theology. And he is a skilled public communicator and a leadership coach who enjoys helping leaders discover their uniqueness and unleash their potential. He is a retired U S army brigade <laughs> brigadier general with 43 years of military and civilian service with the department of defense and without any further wait, here is our conversation. Well, Ray and Jim, it is so good to have you both on the Learner's Corner podcast today.
1: Good to be with
2: you, Caleb. Thanks for the invite.
0: Yeah. And just as we're getting started, one of one of my favorite places to begin conversations, especially around conversations around works of art, and in this case your guys' book, Escaping Any Enemy Mode, is I love hearing the origin story for for just works of art and what led you guys to write this book. And so, Ray, maybe we can start off with you and then Jim, you can give uh your thoughts on just working together as sure. well. And what led you to do that?
2: <laughs> well, This is backwards because uh, when Jim invited me to co-author this book with him, and it's nearly three years ago, I I really didn't know what enemy mode was. Mm. I had just begun learning about neurotheology a couple of years before. And I knew there was some disconnect in me, but I didn't realize how deep it went. And so when Jim invited me, I readily felt uh, 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 freedom to... From the lord to to co-author this book but the the deeper i got into it and the more jim educated me on a, a non-relational brain state i realized that describes a lot of my life
1: it's only interesting in case the audience doesn't happen to know that you're a retired army general and you've yes. been through west point and uh, made a a brilliant career out of uh developing um uh, a approach to conflict and mm-hmm. the question is is that the same as enemy mode and that was kind of what we we started out to talk about right there you know is mm-hmm. does actually defending yourself put you in enemy mode or is enemy mode something else and mm-hmm. uh, right at first well one of the fun things about writing the book is that we both went in not knowing exactly what the answer would be mm-hmm. so uh you know it was a, it was a relational Getting to know each other, getting to know the topic, and uh, and then discovering how it applied to our own lives, and even to our ministry, wouldn't you say, Ray?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, we, we've. I was at the same time, Caleb, as we began working on this project. I was the new executive director of Life Model Works. My boss. <laughs> That's right. And uh, and actually your successor, because Jim, you had been in that role a few years ago, uh, many years ago, but many years, um, yes. many years. But but as I examined the organization, I realized, wow, we haven't always kept it relational ourselves, mm-hmm. both both inside the organization and with partners. Now, mm-hmm. the interesting thing also to me, you know, Caleb, you you know, this, I think Jim has spent his life studying the brain mm-hmm. and studying neurotheology the marrying of the Bible and brain science. And Jim, you identified this phenomenon, enemy mode, some time ago.
1: Right. It uh, came out of the work of Alan Shore, and he was talking about this uh, cold kind of anger and how that ran through uh, one of the vagus nerve systems. And uh, I thought it was probably quite related to hate, although no one had named it that way. And if you look back over history, people who hate each other... um, Uh, What's a huge source of uh, domestic violence, murders, uh, conflicts, racial tensions, um, wars, and then resentments after they're over. And so, uh, you know, I knew the brain had this kind of, you know, seek and destroy function in it uh, that was cold calculated and not very well understood. And so, uh, you know, why is it that we... You know, we sometimes can't seem to see the other person uh, and what they're trying to do. Even when they're trying to help us, it's like they continue to feel like an enemy. So I thought there must be a mental state that goes with that. But how does it work? And when we started this project, uh, I didn't know how it worked, but it was sort of easy to observe there was something there. Uh, And you are very interested in how this might apply to ministry and to churches and... Uh, you know, work environments, as well as to yourself.
2: And, and in the military, I learned um, how to cope with stress and with, with ext- extreme situations. One of the things the military is really good at is to help you control your fear response. But what it's not necessarily too good at is help you uh, connect to the people around you. I think the military assumes a lot. And if someone comes into the military with a solid relational foundation for their life and they saw good modeling as a child and and with coaches in school, then they might be better at it than others of us who weren't. And I wasn't, I particularly good at building these deep relationships through my life, even though I have friends of a lifetime, but they're actually very few. There's not too many. And, and I look back at my life and I say there were a lot of missed opportunities because of how I lived and led.
1: You know, Caleb, the the other element I'd want to throw in right now is that in uh, in our contacts with uh, the late Dallas Willard, he always used how we love our enemies and whether we do that spontaneously as sort of the benchmark for our Christian maturity. And enemy mode, it would be exactly the opposite of spontaneously loving your enemies. So what we had going into this was, okay, if we're going to actually be able to love our enemies spontaneously, what has to change? Mm-hmm. And thats that was sort of the common ground on which uh, all of us that were involved in the search, and certainly Ray and I were, were starting, you know, we want to know how do you actually develop the kind of character that spontaneously loves your enemies, and how does that fit into the problems of life and the world?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I'd love for you guys to define what enemy mode is. And even in the book, you get into a couple of different uh, modes or states of any enemy mode. And so just as we, you know, as a jumping off point, you you mind defining what enemy mode is and then elaborating on the the states that it can show up as?
2: Want to take that one, Ray? Sure. (laughs) Enemy mode is an impaired brain state where you're... um, and there's three manifestations, we could say, but it is an impairment that does not see the people around you as people uh, to connect with. It, it, it makes the assumption that these people around here are not really on my side. Mm. And uh, it could be that your fixation is just on the stuff we're doing together. And uh, and you're doing stuff together, but you're not connecting. And that's not a problem until someone around you looks you in the eye and wants a, a relational connection and you miss it. And that will then become an enemy mode interaction. Hmm. Now, we found, and, and as I, I did a lot of interviews for the book, and everybody I talked to interviewing, and these were army generals, these were business leaders, these were ministry leaders, you name it. They all got what we call stupid enemy mode. Stupid enemy mode is when someone is totally losing it.
1: That's a high uh, energy state.
2: Very high energy. And everybody's getting their cell phone out to record what's happening right here to post to social media. Because mm-hmm. this person is freaking out. They're flipping their lid. And actually, there's some brain science behind that expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not thinking from the who they are. They're thinking from the back and the bottom of their brain. All right. So, so stupid enemy mode was easy. Uh, Simple enemy mode was much harder to convince people. Mm -hmm. Simple enemy mode is just a simple non-relational brain state. A very low energy response. Low energy. And, and so we're doing things together, but we're not connecting. And, and um, you know, it's, and it comes from an assumption. They're not on my side, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's in a brain that stopped looking for relational connection early in life. And didn't reliably learn that, hey, when people smile at you, maybe they want to, you want you to smile back and we can have a fun conversation mm-hmm. and be happy to be together. Well, the person who pr- lives in simple nimi mode just stopped looking for that a long time ago. And that really describes a lot of my life
1: sort of non engagement, but very effective for managing things and getting oh, stuff yes. done. If you Absolutely. don't mind stepping on a person every once in a while.
2: Exactly. Now, the one that creeped me out, Caleb was Mm -hmm. intelligent enemy mode and i went into the project thinking that was the worst of the worst i mean that was hitler and serial killers and then i realized that was me sometimes when i'm going for the win non-relationally without an attachment to that person when i'm trying to manipulate the situation for my own win which usually also means you're going to lose i did that as a pastor I, I've done that as a military chaplain, a military officer. I've done that in a lot of arenas of my life. And it's, it's all about manipulation and maneuvering uh, and image control and maintaining status. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's really uh, very, very tied. Ultimately, we found to the, the kinds of ministry that is devoted to making ourselves and God look good at the expense of whether we have a good connection with other people. And so the very result-oriented kind of Christianity that we actually demand sort of from our leaders is pushing people in the direction of a cold enemy mode. Like, you know, we don't we don't care quite how you get it done, uh, just make it look good. And, uh, you know, it's really easy to go that way when you either have power or you've been hurt by relationships in the, in the past, you know, been betrayed or 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 disregarded all kinds of, of things like that. And so uh, but it's cold sort of cold-blooded um, you know um, predator brain that you're taking over, And often you dress it up well the best way to be a predator is don't look like one so if you look you know socially desirable for whatever the context you know you actually make the most effective predator but there was something really strange about that ray because part of what you'd been trained in the in the army and you can use the right words for this was to uh when you know there's an enemy you go find them Mm mm-hmm uh, and you engage with them, and you basically disable their ability to be enemies. And if you're going to love your enemies, there's something about that that has to happen. You can't be just afraid and run away from them. You have to locate them, seek them, and engage. And so there's there's something about this active pursuit of uh, engaging with uh, with the enemy. But now adding to it, how do I stay relational and bring God's presence into this engagement, that I don't think they really taught you in the army. Not at all. But the problem is in the church, we don't teach you how to engage either. So, you know, we're trying to blend some of the strengths from what the brain can do when it's in this enemy mode uh, with what we need to do uh, when we're in a relational kind of space. And we found the difference really was that when you're in enemy mode, you don't calculate the least harmful alternative.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, you know, the fastest win is usually the uh, not the most harmful, uh, most the least harmful alternative. It's you know shock and awe. You know let's blow blow them away. But yeah. and uh, in uh, in relational mode, there may still be a conflict, but we're looking for the least harmful way out. The way in which all that is good can somehow be preserved. Uh, as much as possible in that situation. And that's, I think, where we found common ground, wasn't it, as we were researching this, Ray?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I I found in my research, and I intuitively knew this, but it was confirmed, really the best leaders in the military and business were able to balance the people and the work. And, And they would get the work done, but they would do it in a relational way, and the people would love serving with them and would follow them even into dangerous situations. Those were the leaders that we all wanted to be with, but not everybody could do that. And why was that? Um, now, Caleb, when we back to our definition of enemy mode, when mm-hmm. we say it's an impairment, uh, what we're saying is the signal processing pathway on the right hemisphere of the brain from the bottom to the top is impaired. There's a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And, and we go in co- into considerable detail. In fact, this book of all the books, Jim Wilder has been author or co-author. This set may have the most brain science in it because we talk about what is that breakdown? How did it happen and how do you correct it? And and, and Jim just introduced a new term that we, we didn't define and it's relational mode. So uh, this term really means it's kind of the opposite of enemy mode. Mm-hmm. And what does relational mode mean? Well, it means you're right and left hemisphere of your brain are in synchronization Mm -hmm. and you're living from your positive identity of the person you were created to be and you're able to um, have mutual mind with the people around you and if you're a christian perspective
1: is what you might say to that Uh
2: mutual mind and of course alan shore talked about mutual mind and 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 this amazing ability in our, our cingulate cortex to be able to uh, realize what another person is thinking to complete their th- sentences without cutting them off, but you are kind of mm-hmm. tracking with,
1: we know another. where they're going. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. Well, in enemy mode, that's totally disrupted, mm-hmm. but it happens. You see it when people are in the flow, you see it when jazz musicians are in the flow with one another, uh, when a band is composing, when a soccer team is playing well together or any t- sports team, there's a flow there. There's a mutual mind happening. Well, introduce enemy mode into that. That is totally disrupted. Creativity falls off. Um, it, it's just a, a very painful place to be when we just, why can't we all get along? Well, enemy mode is a good reason why.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go back to, um, kind of back to what I think both of you were pro- might, might have alluded to this, but I'd love to hear, what are some of the things that you say or that you've seen that almost tempt us to be in enemy mode. Like I'm thinking, especially like for Christians or especially like in churches, like I think um, you, you mentioned that sometimes that's what's rewarded. Like enemy mode is rewarded. Can you talk to me about some of the ways that you've seen that play out like enemy mode awarded
2: hmm. and
0: Ray, maybe we could
2: start with you and then Jim, yeah. you can jump in and give your thoughts. Well, here, here's one example, not recognizing it is one way. Mm hmm. If you grew up in a home where there was not a whole lot of relational joy and relational joy is defined as we're happy to be together. It's defined as we look each other in the eye and smile while we go take the garbage out and we Mm -hmm. sit around the table and linger together and share life together. Well, if you did not grow up in that home and early in life, you learned that that was not going to be there for you right? Then you found other ways to get approval and feel, feel accepted. And, and my way was to get stuff done. I could perform uh, in the military. I could perform in the classroom. And when I came home with a good report card, I really got some attention and it felt good. So that was the reinforcement loop that I went into. Now, take that into, into leadership in a church. What gets kudos for the pastor who's a pastor of a church? I've pastored two churches. Well, what gets kudos is a good sermon. What gets kudos is lots of baptisms or a building project. Mm -hmm. Now, those can be done relationally, but often as not, I did them non-relationally in simple enemy mode. I was on mission for God, and the more important thing was the mission rather than the people who were on mission with me. And so now I could t- my theology said they of course they matter to God, but to pause in my busy day to hear someone's heart, that you know, and and so that that's how one way it manifests.
1: Yeah, your brain starts predicting this person isn't going to be on my side, and if my side is very tied to my image, it also means this person isn't going to make me look good, and. Uh, So underperforming people are easily thrown under the bus, wouldn't you say, Ray?
2: Oh, yeah. That's a a common thing. It's it's true in all kinds of churches. I, I made a terrible mistake as a young pastor. There was a woman who was in our worship team, and she wasn't the best singer. And uh, it, it was very non-relational how we asked her not to uh, be in the, be in, uh, a lead singer anymore. And I, I just regret that. Now, she didn't need to be a lead singer, but we could have done that in a very relational way and helped her get some voice lessons and some breath control. Um, now, Caleb, to, 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 to intelligent enemy mode, um, intelligent enemy mode is maneuvering to get a win and using moral justification to do it. Okay. So if you're on a mission from God to quote the Blue Br- Blues Brothers. Yeah. And you have chapter and verse from the Bible to justify and you claim that the Lord wants you to do this, you can justify just about anything.
1: Even from the and movie I, Excessive Forces Authorized in the Apprehension of the Blues Brothers.
2: That's right. And and I remember being in these meetings with uh, with the leadership team at our church, and I remember I was so frustrated because they didn't get it, they didn't get the vision, and maybe they don't need to be on the leadership team, mm-hmm. rather than seeking seeking the Holy Spirit's help, and rather than going slow and taking time to build consensus and you know all that, so. I think I think a lot of us. We have a generation of pastors, and I was one of these who was were, were influenced more by the, by the business model of getting things done, and the entrepreneurial mm-hmm. model of getting things done, rather than how Jesus did it.
0: Mm. I was going to say, and that that in itself, there is like a whole podcast, mm-hmm. <laughs> too. Um, you know, one one of the statements and I think this ties into uh, how we enter enter into enemy mode, which was surprising to me. Um, and I want to read this quote, and I would love to have you guys elaborate on it, is uh, in the book you say, humans generally experience enemy mode in response to threats to our status, attachments, and identity, and not so much threats to our safety, which was surprising to me. Jim, I'd I'd love to have you maybe start in, in elaborating that about why why is it the case that it's not so much our safety, but the other things.
1: Yes, well, the the thing that matters most to us, you know, uh, if we're looking at both the Old and New Testament, it says, "What is, what are human beings that you know, God's mindful of them, but you have made them a little lower than Elohim and crowned them with glory and honor? So what we actually uh, I feel most threatened by is when someone's going to take away our glory and honor, they're going to take away uh, our sense of value, they're going to take away our right to, uh, to belong. And so the brain is extremely sensitive to that. Uh, you know, it takes us about 120 milliseconds to figure out the gender of the person we're talking to, uh, it might take longer nowadays. I don't know, but that's the, you know, the standard brain response. And it only takes 40 seconds, you know, you know to figure out whether the person's status is higher or lower than ours. It's the one of the first thing the brain goes to. And so, a low status says, what matters to me is not going to be important in this context. And uh, compassion and most of what, uh, you know, Christianity is built around in, in concept anyway, is that we raise the status of others to the highest conceivable status of a human being, and that is to be a child of God. Uh, but in real culture and in interacting with each other, we try to protect our status. And as best we can not rain any, raise anybody higher than ourselves. And very often, if we want to put people down or compete, we are going to lower their status some way or another, humiliate them, make them look stupid, uh, ignore them, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, uh, and then if you start doing this, like we're raising our status in order to raise God's status in the, in the world, now anybody that that wants to lower my status is is a threat. We think to God, um, so it then becomes Christians' obligation to make God look good, instead of perhaps the other way around, which is it's God's work to make uh, Christians uh, uh, look like they might be His children. Uh, yeah, which is kind of a, a it's a workout, I'll tell you. You know, uh, to to start acting like God's children in some way, but this ability. Uh, if we're afraid, and, and uh, the fear is such a big influence on in whether we're going to enemy mode or not, if we're afraid that the other person will take something from us, uh, the brain predicts they won't be on our side. And so if they want to take credit that should we think should be ours, if they want to uh, take an opportunity we th- should think uh, uh, belongs to me or... Um, if, uh, you know, they want to move in on on my relationships and I feel like there's no room here for other people. Uh, there's just so many ways that we can feel threatened. And then the brain begins to, when it's in enemy mode, it starts doing enemy calculations on everything the other person does. So even when they're trying to help us, our brain goes, ah, but they're up to something. And so we misread our friends and Probably you have, certainly I have, uh, been attacked by somebody we are trying to help because they were just reading everything we were doing in a negative context. And, and that's because the brain in enemy mode cannot, see, it's shut off the part of its brain that's relational, that could understand what's going on for you. And so it really cannot read. This is why it's impaired. It really cannot read that you're trying to help me. And it, it's bound to bite the hand that's feeding it. Uh, and so now we've got fights happening between people who really are are on our side, but we have no way of knowing it. Uh, mm-hmm. And once they get hurt, it's not too hard. I mean, enemy mode is extremely contagious. Wouldn't you say, Ray?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's Absolutely. not
1: really too hard when you bite somebody who's trying to help you for them to go into enemy mode and go like, wait a minute here. You know, uh, you're going to hurt me. And so now we're we're both in the mess.
2: Yeah. Caleb, a fear is so rampant in our culture Mm -hmm. and it's rampant in the lives of pastors. I remember as a church planting pastor, uh, just having this gnawing fear very deep within, but it constantly drove me to do more, to work more, to work harder. And what was driving the fear was um, where are my people and who am I? And if I don't produce, who am I? And if this church doesn't make it, who am I? And, you know, we had, uh, when we started that church, we had two years of support, and then we were on our own as a church. And I had a family, a growing family of three, children with three children soon to be, that by the time we left there, we had five kids. How is this going to work out? And so I figured working harder was the the best solution. Even though my theology told me work slower be more mm. be more trusting uh you know but i didn't have the the relational skills to do that particularly well and so i i drove myself into a near burnout and and i look back on that episode in my life as a total enemy mode episode mm. 30 years later i wish i could do it again differently i wouldn't want to do it again I've, god hasn't called me to do that in this season but man i wish i had known these things 3 or 4 decades ago
0: So talk to me about how do we, how do we go escaping enemy mode? Because nobody like, I mean, just what you were saying, Ray Nobody wants to look back on their life in 15 or 20 years. We want to get it. We want to get it right, right now as, as best as we can. And so talk to me about how we can go about um, just escaping enemy mode.
1: Well, I think one of the beautiful things we've been listening to with Ray and it's one of the things I like about working with him. uh, You, you know, he's, He's quite authentic about the things oh, yeah. that are. we would look at as weaknesses. Now, normally, you see you'd hide those because you'd think someone will attack me. But yeah. well, one of the solutions to enemy mode is to say, I know you might attack me, but I'm going to actually teach you how to stop doing that. And this is <laughs> one of the things that pastors and leaders are supposed to do. They're going like, well, I, we understand. We're probably all in enemy mode. And so if I show a weakness, it's going to bring on all the predators. But part of this life is to teach people that's not the way we have to live. And I don't have to be afraid of that because there's actually something else to offer. And, and that what we're offering is um, what I think what you and I ended up calling uh, helping people find their best self. And... Uh, you know, even in a difficult situation, you can say to somebody, okay, let's let's quiet down. By the way, the brain that's in enemy mode always needs a little quieting. Let's quiet down and let's figure out a way that we can come out of this with what's good for both of us. So uh, uh, that attitude going in, it's not particularly those words, but that attitude going in is, I have something to bring that will help you be your best self. And uh, deep down... That really does appeal to other people if we can show them that we also can learn to be our best self. So what would you say about that, uh, helping people find their be their, their best self there, Ray?
2: Well, it, that that's the ultimate goal, because when people uh, create discover the person they were created to be and how they were designed, and when they have people around them who are calling the best out of them and we're calling that out of each other, it's so powerful. And who does and, that and it, for you? Oh, my wife Deborah does that for me every day.
1: And did you ask she,
2: her to do that? Uh, eventually.
1: <laughs> and I, and I think that's it. You know, we we need yeah. to begin to thank the people who are calling out our best self, and then ask people to continue doing that. And and again, that's been transformative, wouldn't you say?
2: It it has, it has. She she has considerable ca- capacity hmm. uh, to to do that for me. It has not come without a cost, though because when I'm not my best self, when I am, you know, when I ignore the warning signs that I'm going into enemy mode or or I'm not escaping enemy mode, when I ignore those warning signs, it can be very painful. And so um, in fact, Caleb, the opposite of what Jim is describing, he talked about quieting Mm -hmm. And, and really that starts with first recognizing something your body is telling you even before you open your mouth and actually people who know us well can see it on our, on our face and, and in our demeanor our nonverbals are so transparent you can't hide them most of us are not inscrutable and 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 with you know faces locked down most of us can be read like a book and uh, my wife can read me like a book and if i'm an anxious presence and if i'm in a hurry and if i'm not making eye contact if i'm not being kind she knows i'm going into enemy mode or i'm already there And if, but, but, but if I would, if I would slow down and, and oh, wait a minute, my heart rate's elevated. My vision is narrow. What's bothering me right now? If I would take a few minutes, you know, and, and it's deeper than, oh, count to 10 before you speak. It's actually take a walk around the block. And while you're walking, do some deep breathing and say, Jesus, what do you want me to notice right now? Hmm. And he usually would say something like, well, that person on the phone was not your enemy. They were actually trying to help you but you treated them like an enemy. So so really, it's for, for me, it's um, to get to best self, you first have to quiet. To get to quiet, you have to recognize something's going on in your body. Now, hmm. I learned, Caleb, in the military, don't pay a whole lot of attention to the body. Hmm. Now, the fear signals, you can do these hard things. And there's some goodness in that. If you're going to rappel down a cliff with a, a rucksack and a weapon over your shoulders, you've got to be able to control your fear. But physical danger and then everyday emotional, relational danger are kind of different things. So, mm-hmm. so those are those are some things right there, Jim. What, what else could we tell Caleb about, about escaping?
1: Well, one of the very important things is when you're in enemy mode with somebody, your brain is misreading all of the cues. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard thing to escape from because everything that you say do or, you know, that comes my way, I'm going to go like, that was a sneaky attack. Boy, they tried to look kind, you know, the little beasts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, our brain also moves very, very quickly. So... um You know, People who have a a, a child can realize they can be angry at their partner and look right down at their child and go, oh, there you are, and have suddenly an an attachment moment. It's like, oh, I can connect with you. Then you look up at your partner and you're back in the fight and you kind of go back and forth again. So if we have a rescue attachment, somebody who can get us out of enemy mode and we can connect with them briefly, um, that helps our brain get out of enemy mode and start thinking relationally again. And if that person actually uh, has a perspective they can share with us on whoever we think is our enemy, uh, well, that would help us see that person in a new way. It's like, oh, well, mm-hmm. you know, well, when I look at, you know, uh, so here's a real simple example again with parents, you know. Uh, well, why does dad stay away so much? I guess he doesn't like me. He must be my enemy. Mom says, you know, he, your dad works very, very hard. His job doesn't pay him very well. But he does that for us as a family. Let's have another look at this, and we'll see what looks like enemy mode to you, looks like caring to me. Uh, and when we have human beings who do that, we have a whole lot less conflict. Uh, but the person who can see us all well and is not our enemy is is God in the presence mm-hmm. uh, in the person of Jesus. And so if we can form a connection with Jesus, and we go to say, well, you know, how do you see that person I see as a rat? You know, it's like, well, they do have some rat-like behaviors, but that's not who I created them to be. That's not their best self. Here's what I'm growing in them. You go, like, I didn't see that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Jesus becomes this rescue attachment for us. And But when we're really upset, it's really hard to notice where Jesus is. So if Jesus, people could become that same presence of Jesus for us. And this is what we did with each other is, you know, and we usually we hide our enemy modes uh, when we're at church, if it involves anybody that, you know, <laughs> we're really upset with, um, Yeah. unless we want to gossip, then we'll all get together and be enemies, you know. But uh, if we could go to people and go, you know what, I am not seeing this person the way Jesus uh, sees them right now. I hate their little guts uh you know uh can you uh, help me connect with jesus and and what does he see that is that wants to bring out because right now my best person isn't out and and i can't see it in them either and if we are community doing that our brain begins to develop a pattern that says hey you know if i could connect to somebody with a with a more stable mind than mine uh I would be able to have a better perspective that helped me look back on this moment. Instead of going like, I hope no one pulled out their cell phone. we go like, I hope they did pull out their cell phone. Cause what happened here is really going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. This is, yeah. this is not what you usually see. And, uh, one of the fun things about writing the book was being able to interview some people that actually could do that in real time and, and tell their stories. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to be able to, Say yeah, this is something that you know people with no professional training can do by simply learning to quiet themselves and say, "Let's get Jesus' perspective on this." Could make it contagious, and and that to me would make a church I'd like to participate in.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we love the story of Lisa in chapter four, how she did that. Chapter four, right, Jim? Mm-hmm. She did that in a COVID Lisa. in a COVID um, um, shot public shot center uh, during the height of the pandemic. And it was a stupid enemy mode moment. And she was able to be the presence of Christ and bring peace to a very difficult situation when no one else could do that. Um, Caleb, I would also say that what's making a huge difference for me is a form of prayer counseling that we call a manual prayer. And I'm meeting with some people over the past 18 months to two years. And it's bringing, so why am I, perpetually prone to these enemy mode situations. What is that all about? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm having one of those sessions this week with a confidant and, you know, um, we're going to be praying through a day of enemy mode that wasn't too long ago. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know that yet, but he won't be surprised <laughs> by anything I share with him. And that's what I'm bringing to the table. And hey, man, what is driving this so deep? And how can we have healing for that? And healing of those uh, deep wounds are so much a part of it uh, that uh, my story of of because uh, really the point is not whether you're going to go in enemy mode or not. You will. You will. Yeah. It's will you, can you reliably escape? Can you recognize it, admit it to the people around you and consistently escape? And, and can you build your capacity, relational capacity to the point that when it's missing, you notice right away.
0: Mm -hmm. Talk to me about like, what, what have you learned to do whenever you're encountering somebody in enemy mode? Like, especially whenever it's somebody that like you, you love and you're trying to figure out, okay, I know like just what you guys said, this is not their best self, but I don't know, maybe they're in such enemy mode. It's not like I, I would probably feel that the the pressure to not say, you know what? I'm not sure you're being your best self in mm. this moment. Talk to me about how do you go about helping, helping the people that we care about mm. escape enemy mode?
1: Well, the first thing is that whenever you offer uh, help that hasn't been requested, uh, it is uh, usually not well received. Um <laughs> So if you can, in your relationships, you can begin to say to other people, you know what, I might not react very well at first, but I would welcome you to uh, reduce the amount of damage I'm going to do by helping point this out to me. And I'll try to be grateful Um, to to arrange that. I always say it's like, you know, uh, the difference between a tennis game and just taking a, a tennis ball and whacking it at somebody as fast and hard as you can. If you haven't been invited to the game, they'll go, hey, what are you doing? But if you have been invited to the game, they'll go say, great serve, you know, Uh, which is one of the differences there. Um, But the the other thing about it is if I just point out to you, you're in enemy mode, I'll almost (laughs) certainly get an enemy mode answer. But if I can add to that, and here's what your best self usually is and mm. i bet you'd like that back. You know, mm. this would be one of those those times when you'd, you you would like to be like, you know, you know, normally i know you're this way or you know, i know you're working to be this way or you know, i think when god created you, he put this in you and and uh you know, let's just quiet a minute connect with him and see if there's a, you know, let's say a kind way to uh continue with this conversation when we can actually name Uh, something of what God's created the other person to be it resonates inside we go like yeah no one's ever brought that up in the middle of a fight before uh this this is kind of different and your your part of your brain that's predicting what enemies are, are going to do is suddenly sort of stunned like huh I never had anyone do that before that where do we put this and they can't predict oh that's what enemies do but when we justify ourselves that we always predict enemies are going to do that. And so the, mm-hmm. the enemy of, um, trying to get out of enemy mode, <laughs> I, I mean, see the the ally of, of enemy mode is self-justification, but yeah. calling out who God made the other person to be, or even admitting to your, to someone else. And, and in fact, I think I've seen you do this a bunch, Ray. Uh, and that is quickly admit that I'm in enemy mode. Yeah. Uh, and even you've noticed that you're still in enemy mode recently you know i think i'm in enemy mode right now uh Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden instead of wanting to uh, you know fight you or attack you it's like oh how are we going to pull him out of this Mm because just admitting it is almost an invitation i think it is always an invitation to help me get out of this i don't know how to get out of it and so we're on the Mm -hmm. same side already Uh, Mm -hmm. so those are some of the things that i would say what would you add Ed? Uh, Ed. <laughs> Ray, <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> don't know where uh, my no brain problem. went there. Yeah. Well, I, I think I do. But <laughs> yeah, um, I would say when someone is in any mode, they're usually also in a lot of pain. Hmm. And we don't know where the pain came from, what caused it, or we might know. And so one of the things that we ought to do is entering into that, making sure that we stay relational and connected to Jesus in that moment, but also not trying to fix whatever's causing them pain, but to sit with him in it. Now, I couldn't do that as a young pastor. Why? Because it made me super uncomfortable. So I had to come up with a, uh, a biblical answer to their problem that made God look good. Looking back on it, I didn't know I was doing that, but, um, oh, you know, I would come up with my theology and, and as if that's somehow going to comfort the pain that person was in. And I'm not saying theology is not comforting, it is. But when someone is triggered and in pain, is not the time to give them a sermon. It's to sit with them. That's where Job's friends really went wrong. And their theology was a little off too, but to sit with him in his pain for seven days and then on day eight, they really messed up because mm-hmm. they started talking. So that's, that's, that's one thing. The other thing I would say to you, Caleb, when somebody's in alien enemy mode, as you grow in maturity through your life, part of being an elder in your community is you need to learn to suffer well. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can take this behavior from them and receive it without, sending it right back their direction without um, reflecting without taking offense because you're an elder and you're following jesus who golly no one in human history has understood suffering like him man of sorrows i mean just think about the cross and so he was able to take on the suffering of the world but he did it for his whole earthly life before the cross and is doing it, it to this day from 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 heaven so Yeah, I think uh, learning to suffer well and to to realize that he is with you when you're suffering as an elder trying to help a person who right now is stuck in pain, and that's manifesting as enemy mode. Mm.
0: Well, I got one other thing I want to ask you guys, and I know that we're coming up on time, but before that, I always love giving everybody just the chance to talk about um, whatever is currently on your mind that we haven't touched upon, because I know there's so many different directions that we could go in, but I would love for you guys to just touch on uh, anything that we have. And, and and Ray, maybe we could start with you. And then uh, Jim, you can give the final uh, word or thing that you're thinking about. And then I want to ask one more question.
2: I'm uh, at the end of my uh, career with Life Model Works, and I'm getting ready to retire again after having retired from the military and uh, i'm I'm carefully considering with my wife uh, how to spend the rest of our active years together the rest of our lives together but what do we want to invest the next few years actively and i think for me it's a process of um recapturing those years that were lost because of my own enemy mode Mm -hmm. and and um, reinvesting in the relationships of those people close to me And, and and also uh, anything that we do in in ministry together to do it together and to trust my wife's discernment and to trust her uh, relational capacity, especially she has way more than I do. And I'm, I'm growing, but I, I've got a ways to go. The other thing that I'm really thinking about, Caleb, and uh, our book was written for the world. It was not a book written directly at the church. <laughs> and we're we're thinking about a, a, a enemy mode and the church book down the road uh, that is a Christian book. but what 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 does it look like to be a church uh, becoming the people of God and living relationally with one another and with the world? What does that look like? How would How would that be different? How would that change how pastors do their mission? And I think a key part of all of that, is this practice of a manual prayer, this practice of the interactive presence with Jesus so that you are asking him all throughout your day, hey, Jesus, what do you want me to notice right now? And you're quieting enough and you're connecting to him in the moments of your day before you open your mouth. And, and that's the growing edge for me. And uh, we're getting some special training this fall with a partner ministry. To, so Deborah's already good at it. I need I need to grow in it.
1: And i would say from my side uh, uh for instance we have a conference coming up in which we're going to try a, an experiment on staying out of enemy mode by staying in this Emmanuel prayer uh, connection with jesus while we're talking about racial issues in america mm-hmm. and there's a number of issues that seem to rapidly put most people into enemy mode uh and that's you know just one of the the current ones mm-hmm. uh, but can we actually learn as a church to do that? But the, the, the flip side of it is that the, the church has uh, really thought of salvation a lot of getting rid of my bad old self, but not very much in terms of developing that, that person. We're going to be after the resurrection. We're going to be forever. And so growing our, our post-resurrection self is what Paul talks about a lot. And, and what would that look like? so trying to get a, an idea within the church that well yes the the old things have to go away i mean it's not because i don't know how to do enemy mode really well that that we're here the question is how do i actually do the loving our enemies really well mm-hmm. and how do we grow that and and what would what would we look like if we were you know practically doing the things that uh, that Jesus said we could do. And the church in the West has gone kind of in the direction of, well, I can say the right things. I can think the right things. But when it comes right down to my personal reactions in my body, they're still the old way. And so, um, how do we do that And the brain science says it has to be formed on attachments. So how do we actually connect with other people in a way that will grow our new self, uh, the way God means us to go, uh, while we tolerate and, and help people outgrow their enemy mode. So that, to me, is a very interesting area to, to think about. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like both of you have given me a lot to think about just in, in your answers there. Um, you know, w- one of the things I would love to close out our conversation with is at, literally, I think this is, or uh, I don't think, it is like right at the beginning of the book, is uh, you guys quote Ecclesiastes, and you quote the verse, and it says, um, "There was a poor man who, by his wisdom, could have saved the city, but no one listened to him because he was a poor man." And I would love uh, for you guys just to elaborate on, uh, talk, talk to me about what made you include that in the book, and even, even start, uh, start that. And Ray, your, your, your it's so I'll have you go first, and then Jim, you could, you can uh, give us the final thoughts.
2: We think. Well, I think, and I think Jim would agree with this, that escaping enemy mode and this new neurotheology is some of the best news that most people have never heard of. Mm. And it's not flashy and it's not going to get quick results. And I'm not sure we could get Oprah to talk about it on her show, but if we could it would be so transformative to everybody. And this is not just for Christians. This is for everybody. Imagine a world where people reliably escaped enemy mode. We are not that not there yet. And that's what I long for in my own life, but also in my family and around the world. That's, that's what that quote means to me now.
1: Yeah. And what I would add to it is, you know, the poor man is the person of low status and, uh, right up to the book of James and the critiques of the New Testament church, the problem is we're always letting human status outweigh what God's doing in in people's lives. And so the actual ability to be who God meant us to be uh, is wisdom, and that doesn't give us normal human status. And so it's very easy for us as a church, a community, a culture, everybody to uh, disregard the low-status people who may be actually living the way God meant us to be and uh, they actually could free the city from destruction if we Mm. would pay attention to those things and so uh, to me it's also a call for us to give up our our pursuit of status even within the church and start looking for what God is doing among those who are who are actually we consider of of no reputation uh, and and learn from them and I think part of your uh, this podcast uh, I think if I look, remember, right is we can learn from everybody, anywhere, at all times, yep. and really this this uh, proverb really hits at that. Like, let's not disregard somebody just because their status doesn't rank where we think it should.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say even even in what we've been talking about, even because they're enemy, yeah, they might have something that can save us. Mm-hmm.
2: That's right.
0: Well, I know that people are going to want to keep up with the both of you and get your guys' book, Escaping Enemy Mode, and just all of the research that you guys are doing as well. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things?
1: Well, we do have t- EscapingEnemyMode.com for the book.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's that has a lot of resources on it. Um, we also have the book wherever books are sold. Um, of course, lifemodelworks.org, our online store has it. You can also get it on Amazon and other book platforms. Uh, we, have a, we have an audio book that's available through Audible. And we've got an Escaping Enemy Mode podcast. That's also wherever you can get your podcasts.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for uh, just a great conversation. And thanks for doing the work and for sharing it with us.
1: Thanks for the invitation to speak. Uh, Good to be with you, Caleb.
2: It sure is. Thank you so much.
0: I'm so grateful for the work that Jim and Ray Are doing and helping us escape. uh, Escaping enemy mode. Because it's so easy for us to fall into. And I think it's just good to also remember. What they said that. It's not. It's an inevitability. We're going to enter into enemy mode. The real question is. How quickly can we enter back into relational mode? How quickly can we move from from seeing people as enemies to seeing them as friends to seeing them in the made in made in the image of god and dealing with okay what what is what is keeping us from seeing this person what is keeping us from seeing this group as if they are made in the image of god and really digging into that and trying to discover what's behind that Why is it so difficult for me to see that? What's making that difficult for me in my life? And realizing that our enemies, the people that we see as enemies, might have something to offer us. I love that verse that we talked about at the end. That they might have something that can save us. They might have something that can help us. And that's part of the reason why it's important for us to figure out how to escape enemy mode and doing the work that helps us escape enemy mode. And one of the things that I love that they're doing is is they're really trying to help us figure that out. And one of the things that they are doing is they are having a conference in Denver and it is the Transform Escaping Enemy Mode together and one of the things that they're going to be talking about at the conference is specifically as it pertains to racial reconciliation racial tension how do you how do you escape enemy mode whenever it comes to conversations like that and so that conference is happening in or on september 20th through the 22nd of 2023 and it's going to be in denver colorado and we'll link to all the show notes as well that and if you want to keep up with this journey of lifelong learning how do we engage in these types of conversations please subscribe to my Substack as well which you could find in the show notes to where i'm just giving all sorts of recommendations and helpful resources of things that i'm currently learning from because i know that could be really hard to find uh really good things to learn from and i just want to save you the time on that and again all you have to do is go to my Substack. And you can subscribe there and you'll get a weekly email with, uh, about three things each week that I'm currently learning about. And so I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast. And thank you to Jim and to Ray for being on the podcast as well. And I think that's all that I have for today. So thank you so much for listening to the end of the podcast. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.